You're listening to the regular podcast from Pete the Vet's blog. This was first broadcast on East Coast FM. Now then, uh, Pete Weatherburn is here. Pete the Vet. Good morning, Pete. Good morning, Jacqueline. Thanks for coming into us today. You like bees, don't you? I do. I, I often rescue bees. You know, you find them kind of buzzed out, lying there, unable to move. And you give them a little, a little um, saucer full of... That's what I did. ...sugary water, and they, you see them going up to it and drinking it, and they kind of shake themselves, and off they go, full of buzz again, and they fly away into the distance. I like doing that. Yeah. Well, there's uh, the Heritage Week to find out about bees, anyway, mm. in the Cool Planet experience in Enniskerry. Now, you're talking to us about uh, looking after um, animals, generally, mm. and you are very dissatisfied with uh, the way animal cruelty laws are implemented here in Ireland? Well, it's it's just that this came up again this week. There was a kitten, a video of a kitten being abused in the west of Ireland and people have been asking, what is the story about animal cruelty in this country? And I just thought it was worth highlighting, you know, what, what, what the truth is. And the, the truth is that there's three aspects to animal cruelty. And the first thing is you have to have laws in place to prevent it. The second thing is you have to have enforcement of those laws. And the third thing is you have to have penalties to people who break the laws. So, in this country, we actually have very good laws against animal cruelty. The new Animal Health and Welfare Act was brought in five years ago in 2013. And it's, it's very contemporary. It's in line with, with, with international um, guidelines for the best possible legislation to protect animals. So it's really good stuff. Um, and it includes um, serious penalties like a, a fine for up to 250,000 euros and imprisonment for up to five years. There's nothing at all wrong with the law. So we can, we can tick that box if you like. But the second bit then is enforcement. And that's where it gets trickier because to enforce the law you have to basically catch people breaking the law and then you have to um, take them to court and prosecute them and you know that's a big issue because the guards are really busy with human um, you know issues happening against humans and so on it's difficult for them to move their focus to, to, to a kitten being kicked around you know you can say yeah they definitely should do but, but these perpetrators uh, seem to be putting it onto social media to boast yeah. about it which is a flaw in their uh, way of operating because it exposes what they're doing to people who would be unhappy with it yeah. and can inform the authorities that these people are doing this and, it, and it's 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 good that they did that because they have been you know that people have been um, the issue's been dealt with now, so that's a good thing. But So what it comes down to is that the ISPCA um, is, is the main body in this country which is, is, is involved with enforcing the law. And the problem is they don't have enough resources. So they've only got eight inspectors to, to cover the whole country. Um, and they can only do that Monday to Friday. They're not able to employ those people, you know, round the clock and every weekend and bank holidays. So it means that the, 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 the facilities that the state have in place to enforce the animal welfare legislation are relatively under-resourced. And that's where the biggest issue is. So people who are breaking the law when it comes to animal cruelty, they're not going to be thinking we're about to be caught. The risk of them being caught, they would see as being quite low. And that means that they're, they're, they, they can do what they want to do with impunity, first thing. So the next area then is, if when people are caught, and when they're prosecuted, and when they're found guilty, what sort of punishments are given? And that's another area where people have a great deal of concern. Because um, 
Although there are guidelines, like I said to you, with really big fines and significant jail sentences, in this country, um, the, the, the judiciary have, have um, free hand to interpret that as they wish. And, you know, they can, they can take into account mitigating factors and they can take into account aggravating factors and they can choose um, a punishment then that they feel is appropriate. The problem with this, when there's a new law, is that... Um, it's really quite wide open, and so if if, if you if you take two 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 judges, let's say they may might take very very wildly different interpretations as to what's appropriate. So what people at the ISPCA have been calling for, and I think they're right, is some some type of sentencing guidelines, some sort of um, I suppose written down code. Say, well, you know, for this kind of case, this is what would be appropriate, and for this kind of case, this is what would be appropriate. Uh, and I know that the independence of the judiciary is really really important. To, to the health of the democracy in this country, and so I, you know nobody can suggest intervening with that. But what we what, what I think we should be doing as a as a country is we should be saying, well, you know, what sort of punishments do we all think is appropriate for cruelty to animal, and can we kind of agree on that and put that into some sort of formulation that the judiciary at least pay some degree of regard to? Yeah, there is another aspect as well, isn't there? Because of research into people who are cruel to animals it's a starting point for some to move along to be cruel to humans yes and what's often quoted is the fact that in the states every single serial killer in jail started their career on animals and it's as if if you're cruel to an animal then that breaks down some kind of mental hurdle and you kind of go oh i was able to do that and it wasn't so bad and you then go okay what about being cruel to human i, I thought that was a hurdle i couldn't get over maybe i can get over that hurdle as well so yes it's it's a like a there's a career progression of people who have this vindictive streak perhaps and so if you can nip it in the bud by stopping them when they are first cruel to animals you'll then end up with a healthier society that's safer for everybody for humans as well as animals so that's the strong argument why we shouldn't just look at this as a kind of sentimental uh issue about for people who are soft on animals we should see it as a societal issue we should stop animal cruelty for the good of our entire society yeah, and what is in the head of, what's the mentality of people who are, you know, th throwing animals on bonfires and things yeah. like that in Hollywood? I just can't understand the mentality I, I, of that. I, it's completely beyond me as well. I, I don't get it at all. I can only think that, in, that they're, they're basically just not engaging, they're not thinking at all. And it's often some kind of freewheeling. But there's no empathy then, you know. No there's empathy. No, no, not not any empathy at all. Not not thinking for a moment about the animals' feelings or what's going on there. Um, some sort of power kick. I don't know. I don't know. It's very upsetting. I can never watch these videos when they when they when they come onto social media streams. I just find I in the past I think we've all maybe looked at some of these things, and I, I find that. Even now, I can remember some of the horrible things I've seen that have been done to animals, and it just upsets me too much. So these days, I can read, that, yes, something bad's going to happen to this animal in the video, but I won't watch it. It's just, mm. it just stops you sleeping at night. That so the law, what you're saying is the laws are there, but mm. not the enforcement. enforcement and I've heard that before from uh, Conor Faulkner from the Automobile Association when he says about people speeding and all that. And, mm. you know, uh, he says, oh, people are looking for new laws about, you know, because of all the accidents or whatever. He says, the laws are there. If only they were enforced, uh, it would be far better. It's a, you know, it's, a, it's a very similar thing, isn't it? Same same idea. It's enforcement. Is a, I think it's a traditional Irish thing to some extent. Is that you know it takes it does take a lot of resources to enforce laws strictly, um, and it takes a certain attitude as well. There is something about the kind of good-natured, slightly easygoing Irish personality, isn't there? That you know. Um, 
people make mistakes, how do you let them away with it, this kind of a thing. Um, so you have to balance that against um, having to make sure that people don't do bad stuff to, to vulnerable but individuals. cruelty and there's also threatening the existence of the species. Like, they talk about the hedgerows and cutting them down and, mm. you know, changing the dates. And then you read separately that the butterfly population is on the wane. And when can you actually equate the two and say, because of policies as regards uh, farming and the, um, the countryside, and that is detrimental to those sort of little animals like mm. ladybirds or butterflies or or bees or whatever, when does that impinge enough that you actually say, hold on a second uh, I don't think this is a good law uh, I think you have to apply common sense and listen to the scientists, really, that's how we should base things and um, you know, you, you can work these it's not difficult to work these things out Right, that's yeah. a sit in the fence answer. No, no, no. What I was saying is, <laughs> absolutely not. You have, you have, you have to decide. Look, this is. Uh, we want to encourage butterflies and birds, and we want to have an environment around us which is uh, healthy and um, the way we want it to be. And then we have to take that on one hand. I have to say, okay, farmer, farmers have to succeed in order to have people living in the countryside, and you have to find the bit in the middle which causes least damage to, to least situation. Yeah. Um, okay, talk to me about hedgehogs then. Hedgehogs? They're a really lovely part of our wildlife. I think they're great little creatures. Um, I'm not sure what the current status is with hedgehog populations. Um, but it's, they're protected, are they? Well, not, not specifically, uh, to my knowledge. Um, but it's those sort of wild animals that you've, you think, oh my gosh, you know, I hope nothing happens to them. Yes, but, you know, uh, um, I guess in general they carry on existing. There isn't a big issue with a sort of sh shortage of hedgehogs. People still seeing hedgehogs. They're not endangered in that sense. I think that's the point at when you really have to draw firm lines is when animals become endangered and that's not happening with hedgehogs to my knowledge. Alright, okay. Uh, but the thing is that uh, animal cruelty that we should be more proactive on it. Definitely. Yeah. It needs more attention. It needs more resources from government towards people to make sure it's enforced. Um, I also want to mention briefly today that this week is the first national microchipping awareness campaign. It's been run by Dogs Trust. and why, Basically, every dog in the country should be microchipped now, but we know that less than half the, of the dogs are. People aren't bothering to do it. And there's a few reasons for that. One of them is people don't think of it. Another one is people are worried about the cost of it. it I don't know what it costs. Uh, um, it varies from place to place, but probably costs somewhere between... I don't know, 30 and 50 euros to get a dog microchipped. So the, the message to get out to people today is that, first of all, Dogs Trust are doing free microchipping in Finglas this Friday. It's a bit late now, okay? But it, so it's today happening. Um, and so you can get dogs microchipped for free there, which is great. Go to the Dogs Trust website to find out more about that. As well as that, um, tomorrow I'm um, doing a... a a charity fundraising microchip session at the Maxi Zoo store in Gory. We have a new vet clinic in Gory, Gory Bravet, and so um, what we're doing is we're working with Maxi Zoo down there to offer microchipping. We're charging twenty-five euros, but all the profit from that is going to, towards the the um, 
local animal charities. So I'd encourage people if you, if you haven't got a dog, if you've got a dog or a cat that isn't microchipped, we'll do it for 25 euros for you tomorrow. You do need to phone the Maxi Zoo in Gory to, to, to make an appointment because, you know, we're expecting to be busy and you can't just rock up and expect to be seen straight away. But we will have an appointment system and if you want to get your pet done, then do come along to us. Contact them beforehand. Right. And so it's 25 quid going to the charity. Not all, no, taking off the cost of the microchips coming off that. I mean, it's, right. it's the dogs trust are providing they're paying for the microchips we're asking we're going to include that as, as one of the costs in the 25 euros very good and the profits are going to go to charities okay yes. alright so uh, get your dog microchips and the benefit of it is benefit is, is if your pet ever goes missing um, the, 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 whoever finds them take them to a vet get them scanned and they'll, they'll find out who you are and who the, who the pet belongs to. So that's the benefit, um, and that's why you get cats done. For dogs, it's a law. You have to have your dog microchipped. Although, arguably, that's another area where enforcement doesn't happen very much, does it? Um, yeah, probably. It should do. It should do. It should come with the dog licence. Exactly. It should be tied is there, together. Is there such a thing? There, look, it's, it's a bone of contention. There's a dog licence system. Every dog should be licensed, and that is run by, by what used to be well, by local authorities, essentially, while, while the, the dog microchipping system is run by the Department of Agriculture. So they're two separate departments, and they're not connected at all. So you have to do two bits of state bureaucracy for your dog. You have to go and buy a dog licence, and you have to have a dog microchipped. Not connected at all. Where is the sense in that, you may ask? And that's a jolly good question. Uh, what does Pete think of new floating farm cows in Holland? Surely not natural for the beast. I've, I, the reason I brought you back is, Pete, I don't know what this man is talking about, so please explain. Yeah, let me explain. It's basically um, in Rotterdam, on the water off Rotterdam, somebody has built literally a floating dairy farm. So it's a structure that measures about 30 metres by 40 metres. It's a big concrete floating box. And what they put onto that is 40 dairy cows, um, a cellar for milk production and waste processing, and then a shop and a visitor centre. So it's, it's not quite what it seems, perhaps. The inspiration for it is that there's too much urbanisation, there's not enough arable land, um, populations are going up, so people have an increasing demand for dairy products, and they also want to use this really as a showcase to reconnect citizens with food production, and I can understand that. So that children, you know, children currently think that milk grows in the supermarket or something, they don't realise perhaps that it comes from cows. So it's really been used as a showcase to demonstrate good quality dairy farming um, to an urban population, rather than it being a big commercial venture. But you have to get a boat out to it, do you? Yes, you do. <laughs> I mean, well, it's how, it's, how natural or unnatural is this? You get a boat out to this, this floating island. Yeah. It's you a, know, man-made. And, and they're, they're feeding, the, the as, as part of the project, if you like, they're actually feeding the, the cows on products from the city. And, and what, that means is, what that means is that they're using things like a, um, a brewery is providing brewer's grain, a potato processor is a, uh, supplying potato peel, and there's a mill to provide waste quality, waste, um, waste product grain. And they're using grass from sports fields and parks around the city to feed the cows. So it's kind of, it's, it's like, it's like, I suppose, a novel project. Um, I think, it, to get serious, I really don't like the idea of over-intensification of livestock production because you end up with, it's meant to be partly about the animals and when that happens, it's not about the animals anymore. They're just kind of incidental and they're being uh, utilised to produce a product which humans then consume. And I just think often the animal welfare 
um, goes out the window and it becomes, they just become objects. And that's not great. But that particular project, I think it's more been done as a way of connecting people with agriculture rather than as a separate agriculture enterprise. Okay, thank you very much. I hope that answers the question. That was good. I'm glad you came back now to answer that. <laughs> Pete Weatherburn, thank that you very much. That's an interesting idea, all right? <laughs> all right. Pete Weatherburn, the vet, and you can find Pete at Bray Vet and Old Connor in Bray and hear this broadcast again on Pete's website, which is petethevet.com. Thank you very much indeed.